0: It is so nice out there. I love it. Um, anyways, I'm Alex, and I am one of the elders here at Common Ground, and I have the privilege today of taking us into God's Word. Um, so I want to start off with a, a, a story about, this is a true story, in, um, in Holland, during while the Nazis were in there, there was two sisters, uh, Corey and, and Betsy Tenboom. Um, and they were fighting against the Nazis. They were kind of doing their part in a resistance against them, and one of the things that they were doing was they were, they were hiding Jews in their house as, as the Jews were trying to get out of the Nazi-occupied territory. And they did this for a little while, but eventually somebody informed against them, and Cory and Betsy, both servants of God, they were doing this out of their faith, out of their belief that God had called them to it, and they, they were eventually arrested and sent to Ravensbrook concentration camp. Now, the question I want to look at today is, why? Why would these two servants of God, these two women who were, were doing what God had called them to do and living for God and living for others, why would they have to go through this? Betsy actually eventually ended up dying at Ravensbrook. Um, and so today we're going to look at Jesus actually answering this question. Um, if you want to turn to Luke, um, we're going to be in Luke 13 today. Father, we uh, just come before you um, as humble servants, God, in recognition that, uh, that we fall short. God, that, um, that we are broken, Lord, that we are broken before you. And God, that you are just as we sang, you are our hope. You are our living hope. God, I pray that uh, as we go through this today, Lord, that your word would just resound in us and um, God, that we would walk out of here knowing in the midst of pain and suffering and evil. God, you are here. You are with us and you are walking with us. Lord, we love you and we uh, we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the question of why would God, why would a good God allow suffering and evil in this world? In Luke 13, some Israelites come to Jesus and they, they present him these two situations, or they present him one, and then um, he answers it by looking at a couple of situations. We're going to look at verses one through five. It says, there were some present that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we see a couple different types of evil in these verses. We see see Pilate, who just out of selfish ambition murdered these Galileans while they were given their sacrifice, just cold-blooded murder. And then we also see kind of a a more natural calamity with the the tower falling on the 18. So we we see three sources of evil and suffering throughout the scripture. The first one in here is the indwelling human sin. And that's what you see with Pilate. He had sin in him, and he acted on that sin. He acted outside of what God had said was good. The second is fallen creation. This is that tower falling on the 18. This is tsunamis that come and wipe out entire islands. This is earthquakes that de- destroy buildings. Um, and then the third one that we see, we don't see it super clear in, in these verses, um, but the Bible is very clear on it, is demonic forces. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we see these three sources of evil, the, the indwelling human sin, the fallen creation, and these demonic forces. These are all rooted from back in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned. They sinned one time. They ate. They ate some fruit that God said to not eat, and everything was cursed. God cursed man and the woman. God cursed the creation, and he cursed Satan in that time. We see all of this evil around us, all rooted out of that one sin. But why? What's, what's the point? Why, why did God do it that way? Why did God curse creation? Creation didn't do anything wrong, right? Adam and Eve screwed up. But God cursed all of creation along with it, so we're going to look at that that question today. why? in these verses, you see the Israelites um, bringing up these situations and and you can see by Jesus' response that what they're kind of saying is like, you know they must have been pretty terrible sinners. Look at the stuff that happened to them. Their idea is that it's it's almost Similar to to this idea of karma that we have today, that, that, you know, you do these bad things and then something bad is going to happen to you. If you do good things, then, you know, you'll have general good in your life. But Jesus refutes that twice with basically the same answer saying, no, they weren't worse sinners than any of you. But unless you repent, you're all going to die that way. You're all going to perish that way. And so what's the point in this is Jesus is saying, stop looking at everybody else around you and looking at their sin and pointing out their failures and look in your own heart. You've got things that you have to deal with. I've got things that I need to deal with in my heart. Um, Jesus didn't say that. I said that. Sorry, (laughs) He's good. So just want to clarify that. Um, And so the point in this is stop looking at everybody else. Figure out what you've got to deal with and repent. Turn. That word repent means turn 180 degrees. It's turn away from this this sin that you're going into and turn toward God. And then to drive the point home, he goes on into this parable about a fig tree here. So verses 6 through 9, he says, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So this parable, we see we see a couple characters. We see the, the property owner, and in this in this parable, that's kind of representing God in this parable. The vine dresser uh, doesn't really specify who that represents, but he's not really the point of the story. But you look at this, and this story is, right, you've got this property owner. Who's, he's probably got, like, some olive trees over here, and he's got some vines growing down here with, with the grapes, and on the back 40, you know, he's got his grain growing. And then he decides, I really want a fig tree. I love figs. So I'm going to plant this fig tree. So he goes around his property and he finds a nice spot for it. You know, it's going to get good sunlight. It's got good drainage, but it's going to get water. The soil's nice there so the roots can kind of bury in into there and get all the nutrients they need. And so he plants this fig tree with a purpose. The purpose is to get the figs, right? The purpose is that it will bear fruit. And he comes back after he, A little bit, you know, and he expects it to start bearing fruit. And he comes and he looks at it and goes up to the tree and he's kind of digging around in through it, looking for some fruit, and he doesn't find anything. So he leaves kind of disappointed. You know, he expected there to be fruit and comes back a year later, you know, by now this tree's got to be bearing some fruit. Looks in through this tree and there's, there's nothing still. You know, he's digging around, really trying to find something in there and there's nothing. So he leaves frustrated again. Comes back a third time. And this time, it's, yeah, there has got to be some fruit on this tree. I planted this tree, I, I gave it everything it needed. There's got to be some fruit on this tree. And he looks on the tree, and there's nothing still. And so he calls the vine dresser over, and he says, you know what, I planted this tree because I wanted figs. I planted this tree with a purpose. You know what, it's not doing it. Just cut it down, get rid of it. And maybe I can at least make a fire out of it. Um, the vine dresser says, you know what? No, hold on just one second. You know, let me let me try and, and give this thing some, some manure on there, get some fertilizer on there, I'll dig around it, loosen up the soil a bit. And the property owner says, you know what? Okay, I'll give it one year. You give it everything you've got. I'll give it one year. But if I come back next year and this tree's not bearing fruit, it's done. So there's the ultimatum. The ultimatum is out there. This tree has to bear fruit or it's going to be cut down. So the point of that, the point of that is God is patient with us, but his patience will one day end. Repent and bear fruit while you can. Now that's blunt, right? (laughs) Bear fruit while you can, but that's Jesus' answer to this. They're looking at all these terrible situations that are happening around them And they're they're trying to point out the sins of all these other people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is you need to repent. The point is you might be here today with questions. You know, "Am, am I really living for God? Do I really trust him with my life? You might have a sin in your life that you're dealing with that you just can't get past. You might be here today, not even a believer, and, and asking yourself, you know, is God real? And he keeps poking at you and, and prodding you and, and giving you clues and, and leading you on this path to, to him. And you just kind of keep ignoring it. The point is, you might be going through all of that today, and then you might not make it home. That's what Jesus is saying here. You don't know. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. So repent and bear fruit while you can. Now, why, why use pain and evil and suffering to do this? Why, why, why are there 49 people in New Zealand right now that aren't breathing today that should have been? Why are there half a million kids in the foster care system in the United States because the parents can't break addiction? You know, why, why do all of these things happen? I think that looking through scripture, the answer that I see in there is, it's to point out to us the magnitude of our own sin. Adam and Eve sinned one time, right? And all of creation was cursed. God's trying to show us through all of these things that, that your sin, against a holy and righteous God is a way bigger deal than you think it is. So ask yourself the question, you know, how angry do I get at my own sin versus how angry I get when I see the news about New Zealand on TV? How upset do I get with my own failures, my own inability to meet God's standard, as opposed to when I find out that my child is sick? So the next point on your handout is, God cursed all of creation to bring us to repentance. He knew it was the only way we would even begin to understand the magnitude of our own sin. So don't wait. If you have those questions, if you feel those tuggings, don't wait Turn to him, he's wait, he, he wants you. He's waiting for you to turn to him. He wants to give you the strength to walk through these things. You know, people will say that, that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I think that statement is actually false. I think God doesn't give you any more than he can handle through you. That's what he's wanting. He's wanting you to come to him and say, look, I'm broken, I can't do this. I see all of these things around me and I can't handle it. He's saying, okay, I know, I can. It's a quote from Spurgeon, actually. My wife sent me this um, as I was preparing this message. She came across it, um, and she sent it to me, and I just loved it. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. When those trials come up in your life, when you come into suffering, when you come into pain, when you see the news and it just tears you down and it draws you closer to God, that's what he's saying there. He's learned to love those moments. You hate the sin. You hate the sin that's involved in it. But you love the fact that God just brought you even closer to him. So back to the question, why, why does God allow, why does a good God allow evil and suffering? We see part of the, the answer in here. It's to bring us to repentance. It's to, to turn us to look at our the own, sorry, I mixed up those two phrases right there. Our own evil that that's in our hearts. If we have Jesus, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us, but there's these parts of us that that we have a hard time getting away from, these sins that, that we have a hard time getting past, and the point of that is to bring us to repentance, but then it's there's more than that. So we're going to turn a few pages further in Luke. We're going to look at Luke 24, uh, verses 25 to 27, and we're going to see the the other side of this answer here. So these verses are, are after Jesus has died on the cross. After a few people went to the tomb and saw that it was open and the angel said, why are you looking for the, the living among the dead here? So Christ is risen at this point, but very few of the disciples have actually seen or, or um, heard this. And there's... A couple disciples on the road to Emmaus here and Jesus comes up to them and he's kind of disguising himself they don't recognize him as Jesus but Jesus starts talking to him on this road here and they're having a hard time because they just lost this person that they had basically just banked their whole life on and Jesus said to them oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice that phrase in there, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? This had been prophesied about. It was all through the Old Testament John tells us in Revelation that it was planned before the foundation of the world that Christ would suffer on our behalf, that he would take our shame and our sin on himself. So it was necessary. God knew this was gonna happen. He planned out that this would happen. The Roman occupation of Israel, Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus coming into town and everybody cheering for him and those same people a week later sending him to the cross. God knew all of that was going to happen. He actually made sure that all of that was going to happen because that was his plan to save us. And yet he did it all without sinning. He worked all of this out for his glory and our good. And we see that that way. Satan had meant for evil. God meant for good. There's three things I want to, as we go into this, um, there's three things I want to make sure are totally clear from the Bible. The first thing is God is completely in control. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God God never lost control throughout all of that. Throughout all of history, God has been in control, and he always will be. The second thing is God does not sin. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God is completely in control, even when evil and suffering are happening. And he makes sure that it works out exactly the way he wants, and yet he does it without sinning. He is holy and righteous and perfect. And the third thing is, God is working everything for his glory and our good. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God was not surprised throughout that whole week as Jesus went to the cross. God was not surprised by one moment in that, but he was also not surprised when Jesus rose from the dead. You know, Jesus didn't go to the cross and God's just thinking, oh boy, I really hope he makes it out in three days. You know, he knew He had it planned. He was sovereign over each and every minute of that. And so we can be confident in him. We can be confident through trials that God knows what he's doing. And God, without sinning, in that week, he forced evil, forced evil to crown Jesus as king over all. That is amazing. That is the power of our God. John Piper said, At this all-important pivot in human history, the worst sin ever committed served to show the greatest glory of Christ and obtain the sin-conquering gift of God's grace. God did not just overcome evil at the cross. He made evil serve in overcoming evil. He made evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. I love that, I love that summary. He made evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. So, the next point on your handout is when faced with evil and suffering, we remember that God is in control and actively working all things to point us to the glory of the grace of God found in the cross. Amen. So that's the sum of that. That's the sum of the answers, is evil happens in order to show us that we need to repent. And it happens so that we turn to the cross. We look in our hearts, we realize we fall short, and we go to Jesus because he bought our salvation, because he's completely in control, because he overcame death when we couldn't. Now, what... Why do we need an answer to this question? I, I, I think this is kind of a, sometimes we, we have our faith and we think, you know, I'll just, I've got my faith, you know, I don't need to worry too much about this. My life's going pretty good. Why, why do we need to have an answer to this question? And, and I think there's a couple reasons. And the first one is, you know, as we've been going through Luke, we've, we've kind of been going through it the way Luke does and that it's, it's, Luke was an apologist. You know, he was answering a lot of the big questions in his day. And there are a lot of the same questions we have today. And so so this question of why would a good God allow suffering, you know, that's one of the major critiques of of Christianity. Um, And so we need to be able to answer confidently when we are faced with that question. But I think the more important reason we need an answer to this question is because we need to know it ourselves. I heard just this week, um, somebody had said, we shout God's sovereignty in the light so that we remember it in the dark. We need to know these things and hold on to these things so that when the trials come, we don't forget that God's in control, that God's got our good in mind even through suffering and trials. The, uh, I, I imagine we're all familiar with the Titanic, right? Big boat, went on a cruise, hit an iceberg, sank to the bottom. So... If you look at the Titanic, um, they've been been kind of pulling up samples from it and and doing some research on it, trying to figure out, you know, like what, why did this thing not survive the cruise? And um, one of the things they looked at was they pulled some samples up and did a metallurgical sample on these rivets. And they found that the iron that was used in the rivets was very subpar, had a lot of slag in it, and so they were just very weak. Um, Now, they can't say whether or not, you know, if it had had really good metal on it, it would have survived the trip. But, But the image that comes along with that, right, you've got this beautiful boat, just the peak of luxury in its day. But everything it's built on is faulty. Everything it's built on is waiting for one trial to come along for it to just sink to the bottom of the ocean. So we need to know the answer to this question because we need to know that when a trial comes our way, God's got it. God's not, not seeing this happen and go, oh my goodness, I don't know how to prevent this. He, he's not worried about it. You know, I've recently tr- been trying to learn chess, so I've been playing with Gary and Ed online, and I'll, I'll make a move thinking like, oh yeah, that was a pretty good move, and then my queen's gone. And I'm just like, what the heck happened? That actually just happened this week, so it's a very apt illustration. But God, that doesn't happen with God. He's not surprised when these things happen. So, we need to be able to say with confidence that God is in control. And so, when we're we're questioned, you know, we're going through a trial and, and somebody questions, you know, why do you still have your faith? Why are you still holding on to this? God's obviously not watching. You can turn with confidence and say, you know, I don't know why I'm going through this trial right now. I don't know what God's end goal in it is. But I do know that the worst sin that was ever committed, putting Jesus on the cross. The worst sin against a perfect and holy and righteous person, that God took that and he bought my salvation with it. So if he can turn that for good, he can turn whatever I'm facing for good. Romans 8, 18 to 21. Paul really sums this up here. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. Satan did not subject creation to futility. God did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I wanna close with, um, so, so Corey Ten Boom that I talked about at the beginning, she eventually made it out of the concentration camps and she went into uh, kind of a ministry of going around and talking about what it means to forgive. Um, especially in the, the post-Holocaust Germany and Holland and those areas. And one day as she was giving a speech on this, a former prison guard from Ravensbrück came up to her and she recognized him, um, a man who had caused her so much pain in her life. He came up to her and thanked her for, for talking and and asked her for her forgiveness. He had become a Christian after all of this. And, and he asked for her for, forgiveness, and she wrote in in her book, The Hidden Places, and I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that, too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands. and And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. You see that she just went through something worse than than many people will ever experience in their lives. And God took that and worked in her heart to not only bring (laughs) one man to Jesus, but to bring Corey closer to him than she would ever have been without that. She knew forgiveness better than most of us ever will. She knew the forgiveness that Jesus bought on the cross better than most of us ever will because she went through that. So the last point in your handout, and I'll close with this. The suffering experienced in our lives reveals the grace of God and draws us closer to the one who suffered for us. Father, we... uh, we thank you that you did suffer for us, that we can look to your suffering and see the good that came out of it and trust you, trust that you are in control. We can trust that you have our good in mind uh, when, when we go through trials. And we can, as we go through trials, we can lean on you because you will not give us more than you can handle and you are working in us. God, I pray that we would live lives of repentance, lives that bear fruit because we have placed our trust in you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.